here with us this morning. And then he would say, would you like to see the engine room of the church? Would you like to see where all the work really is happening in this church? And so people intrigued would be, well, of course, yeah, let me see. And so he would take these, these new person down into the basement with him. And down in the basement, they had a prayer room. And he would open up the prayer room and he said this, this is the engine room of the church. And there would be numerous people on their knees praying the entire time that he preached. Because Charles Spurgeon knew that just him preaching a message from the Word of God alone was not enough. He needed intercession. He needed people praying for him, for the words that he was going to preach. And so Charles Spurgeon made it a point to have people praying all the time when he, when he preached. Because he believed that prayer was absolutely essential to the life of his church. And what we want you to see through this series on prayer is that life is absolutely essential, or that prayer is absolutely essential in the life of our church. So look with me at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here, we're back at at Colossians where Paul is writing this letter because the the people at Colossae are dealing with false teaching. There's, There's false teaching creeping into the church. Epaphras is concerned. He reaches out to Paul and says, Paul, would you instruct us or guide us? And so Paul is writing this letter. He's still very much so in the introduction phase. But now we, we see two things about Paul's prayer for the Colossian people. We see the nature of Paul's prayer. We also see the content of Paul's prayer. The nature of his prayer and also the content of his prayer. So I want us to focus first on the nature of Paul's prayer, which we see in verse 9. Paul says, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So Paul prays in such a way that he's not stopping. It's non-ceasing. He doesn't give up. I'm sure that through the course of Paul's life, he prayed for many things that he never saw come to pass. But Paul doesn't give up. Paul says, my prayers for you are non-ceasing. He doesn't give up. He's not weak-minded and thinking, if God doesn't immediately answer my prayers, then, then it must mean he doesn't want me to pray for them. And I was thinking about myself and my own prayer life, and I was thinking about us and, and the culture that we live in. We live in such a right-here-and-right-now culture. We have just about everything right at our fingertips. I was thinking about news, the way that we interact with news stories. You think maybe 50 years ago, you're having to wait for a newspaper to come out. You, the news that you're reading is, is at least day-old news. Now, we've got news within minutes of big things happening. Within minutes of major events going on, we know about it. It's so instantaneous. We've got things like texting now. I think every single one of us in this, in this room has probably sent a text message or two in our life. And But we've come so used to the fact that when we text someone, they text us right back. It's, it's immediate. To the point where sometimes I will text someone, like Micah, and if he doesn't respond immediately, I'm like, what's wrong? 
Is something wrong with Micah? Do I need to call the 911? Is something going on? Because we're so used to this immediate response. We're used to not having to wait. Think about social media. I mean, I see, I know people who will sit on Facebook and just refresh that page, refresh that page, refresh that page, just waiting for a new story to pop up, just waiting for someone to post an update about what's going on with their life. Because we want to know right here, right now. Online shopping has changed. I've got an Amazon membership where you pay a certain amount per year and they offer you free two-day shipping on like almost anything. Like seriously, who, who actually needs stuff in two days? And then if that's not even fast enough, you can pay a few dollars and get it next day. I remember when I was a kid, uh, there was this little remote control car that I wanted. And so I was saving birthday money. You know, grandma and grandpa would send 10 bucks here. The other grandparents, 10 bucks here. So I'm like saving up cash. And we didn't have a computer or the internet. I don't even know if it existed when I was uh, knee high to a grasshopper. But we had this JCPenney catalog, all right? And in this catalog, you've got clothes, you've got shoes, and you've got some electronic toys. And so there was this little RC car that I wanted. And so I'm saving up my money. And I go to my mom and I'm like, Mom, can you call the number and, and place the order and get me this car? I've been saving up my money. She's like, well, do you have enough money for shipping and handling? No. So I had to save up longer. I had to save up longer. And so finally, I get all the money. I get my mom to call the number in the JCPenney catalog, and she orders this car, and, like, you know, the shipping is like, we'll have it between two weeks and a year. Like, awesome. And so finally, after waiting for such a long time, this car comes, and I use it for, like, three days and annoy everyone in the house, and then it's old news, and I'm done with it. But things have changed so much. We don't want to wait for things like that. We don't want to have patience. I was also thinking about how you look at commercials on television. There's financing for just about anything. Almost anything you can imagine. You want a new TV? Don't wait. Don't save up. Just, just finance it. Don't, don't save up for a new car. Just finance it. Don't save up for anything. Just finance it. Because we want things right here, right now. We don't want to have to wait. And I think as a result of all of this, We've become people who are not extremely patient. And so when we read about Paul being a person of persistent prayer, maybe that seems foreign to us. Maybe we think, I've prayed for things, but when they don't happen, I just kind of give up on it. I'm like, well, God clearly doesn't want that to to come to pass, and so maybe it's just I shouldn't, shouldn't pray for that. But Paul says, since the day we heard of you, of your faith in Christ Jesus, of your love for the saints, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul doesn't give up in his prayers. Paul is continual. And and this is a theme in Paul's writings. We're going to look at a couple different passages that make this abundantly clear, but but this is not the only time that Paul mentions praying in such a way that he he continues to pray. That he's a man of of continual prayer. He's not going to give up. He's not weak-minded. So look, you don't have to turn here, but just listen to some of these passages. Later on in this book, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To the Ephesians in chapter 6, right after he's talking about the armor of God, Paul says, Be praying at all times in the Spirit. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your, make your request known to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, 
be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, real short. Pray without ceasing. Paul has written all this. And again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, he said, Paul says, to this end we always pray for you. So this is not something that Paul just thought, you know, it'd be a good idea if I just don't stop praying for the Colossian people. This is clearly something that Paul is, is deeply rooted in him. He believes that he needs to be a person who prays often and all of the time. And I wonder if maybe we're, we're led to think that, well, Paul was an apostle. Paul was like a big deal. If you read the book of Acts, he did a whole lot of stuff, and so he probably needed to pray more than you and me. But, that, but that's not true. Because Paul was a man just like you and just like me. He was saved by the grace of God. Now granted, God did use him to do some amazing things, but Paul was dependent on the Spirit just like you and I are dependent on the Spirit. And Paul learned how to pray like this. Paul didn't just pick this up. Paul didn't just decide that at one point, you know, this would be a good idea. Paul learned this. Flip over to uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. Let's start reading this parable at verse 2. Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice. He will give justice to them speedily. Now, Jesus has told this parable, and clearly he's making a point that there's this unrighteous judge, and there's this widow, and she is wanting justice against her adversaries. And so she goes to the judge. She says, Judge, can I have justice against my adversaries? And he says, no. And so she says, all right. Hey, judge, can I have justice against my adversaries? She says, no. She says, okay. Hey, judge, you get the point. She keeps coming to him. And the text says, even though he's not just, he doesn't fear God or, or respect man, but because she is continually coming to him, he says, fine, I will give you justice if you would just leave me alone. And Jesus is making the point that we need to be like the widow. Don't give up. Even when your requests are not answered, don't just stop. Don't just think, oh, man, God doesn't want me to have that. Just keep coming. Keep praying. And Luke, the gospel writer, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a one-verse commentary on this parable. Look at verse 1. Luke says... And he told them a parable to this effect, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Paul didn't just decide one day that he was going to be a person who prays continually. He's going to pray all of the time, not going to give up. Paul learned it from Jesus. Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. Always pray 
don't lose heart. And so for you and for me this morning, as we start this series on prayer and as we think about prayer, let's learn, just like Paul does from Jesus, to pray always and to not lose heart. Because it's easy to. I know there are plenty of things that my wife and I have been praying about the entire time we've been married that have not come to pass. She has an older brother. He's not saved. His life is is crazy. It doesn't look like he's even close to, to confessing Jesus as his Savior. Matter of fact, it looks like he's doing everything he can to run from that, but yet we still pray that God would save him. And I tell you what, praying for that over and over and over again and never seeing anything even close to that coming true makes me want to lose heart. Makes me want to give up. Like, all right, God, well, I tried. I mean, I prayed. What what else can I do? Clearly, you're not saving him. But Jesus would say, keep praying. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. And that's what Paul would encourage us as well. Paul says, don't don't stop praying. Don't give up in your praying. If things aren't happening that you're asking for, don't quit. Don't be weak-minded. Don't think that you're just some loser and God's not hearing your prayers. Keep praying. Be strong. Don't lose heart. That's how Paul prays for the Colossian people. Paul says, ever since I heard of you, this congregation at Colossae, your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for the saints. I've started praying for you and I have not stopped. And so the nature of Paul's praying is that he prays all of the time. He does not give up. He does not quit. When he does not see the answers that he is expecting, he doesn't stop. He just keeps pushing on. Are you and me like that? Are we like that when we pray? Or are we quickly wanting to give up? Are we quickly wanting to say, I'm not seeing an answer to my prayers, so I guess it's just pointless. I guess God is not willing to hear me today. No. Pray continually. Don't give up. So we've seen that there's a nature to Paul's praying, that it's continual. But now we also see the content of Paul's prayer. Starting in the second half of verse 9, Paul says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So now we see what Paul is praying for the Colossian people. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, it's important that we understand that God has two wills. Some of you may be familiar with this, but one of them is God's sovereign will. And God's sovereign will is basically that he has a plan and it's going to happen. Nothing will stop it. But then God also has a moral will. And God's moral will is a little bit different. God's moral will is what he wants, but not everyone is going to do it. God's sovereign will. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Paul says, In him... It's in Jesus. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God is working all things according to his will, what he wants to happen. God is using whatever circumstances he wants, making sure that his plan is being carried out. Listen to Matthew 26, 39. 
Going a little further, this is Jesus, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus recognizing, God, there is a plan that you have put in place that is going to happen. I don't want this to happen. I don't want to have to die on the cross. But if, I, uh, but if that's what is your will, I know that it cannot be broken. I know that nothing else will satisfy. And so, God, not my will, but your will be done. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God is even sovereign over the birds that die. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is clearly has a plan. He's got a will that cannot be broken. It will not be thwarted. Nothing is going to divert his plan from coming to fruition. One more for you. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Quite clearly, the Bible is teaching us that God has a will and that will is going to happen. God is using everything in this creation to bring about his will. And that will is bringing about salvation for you and for me. God willed that Jesus would die on a cross. God willed that He would take our sins on His cross and that God would pour His wrath on Jesus instead of on us who believe. So be thankful that God has a sovereign will that cannot be stopped, that cannot be thwarted. Because of that, you and I have salvation. Because God's will was to glorify His Son through death through killing him on the cross for our sins and raising him from the dead. And so we should be thankful for God's sovereign will, thankful that no one can, can throw it off the tracks, thankful that no one can stop it. God has a sovereign will, but God also has a moral will. Now listen to some of these passages. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So that says that there are people who are not doing the will of his Father who is in heaven. So ta not talking about God's sovereign will because we know that that is going to happen. Nothing can stop that. But God's moral will is that they would do the will of his Father who is in heaven. Meaning there are people who don't. There are people who will not. And so this is a different type of will. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is very clear cut and dry. For this is the will of God... Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. There are people who are not abstaining from sexual immorality. And if that's you, then you are not obeying the will of God. It doesn't mean that God's sovereign will is being thrown off. This is God's moral will. This is what God wants for his people. This is what God wants for all of creation. But some will not obey. Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. Some people are not doing that. 
So it's clear that there are two different wills. There's a, a, a sovereign will, which is going to happen. You cannot stop it. And then there's God's moral will, which is what God desires for everyone, but not everyone is obeying that. Not everyone is doing that. And so Paul says, we have not ceased to pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, which will is, is Paul talking about here? I think he's talking about both. And here's why. Thinking about God's sovereign will, his will for all of creation, and that is to glorify his son through, through death on a cross, Paul says we should be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Why? Because when things are good and when life is going great, we need to be grounded in what God is doing in all of creation. We need to know what God's purpose is for creation. That's to glorify his son Jesus through death on a cross. And so knowing and being filled with the knowledge of God's will means that we are seeing life through the lens of what God is doing. We're grounded in the truth of the gospel. But then also, I believe he's talking about God's moral will because this is how God wants his people to live. He says we should be filled with the knowledge of God's will, knowing what God wants for our life. Knowing that God, his will for our life is sanctification, ab abstaining from sexual immorality, giving thanks in all things, and on and on. And so Paul wants the people of, of, Colossian, of Colossae to know the, mor the sovereign will of God as well as the moral will of God. Both are absolutely essential, whether life is good or whether life is bad. Because think about this. Paul says, from the day that we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, I believe he's talking about when he heard about the Colossian believers as a whole. I don't think he's talking about the time that he heard that they were uh, dealing with false teaching. I think he's still talking about from the day that we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of your love for the saints, we have prayed for you. We have not ceased and now we know that you're dealing with false teaching. And guess what? We have not stopped praying. And guess what? We're praying the same thing then that we are now. Paul does not change the content of his prayers based on the circumstances that the people are in. I was thinking about my own, my own prayers, just kind of reflecting back. And I could say, honestly, that in times of, of good in life, when, when life has been good, when everything's great, uh, Sam and I just had a baby, he's healthy, uh, doing well, we are so thankful for that. So in, in times of life like this, I notice that my prayers are more so focused on thanking God, uh, praising him for what he's done, just, just a general thankfulness. But then, when life gets difficult... When we're getting close to the end of college, we don't have a job lined up. We're not really sure how we're going to provide for our family. We kind of get nervous and, and get worried. Our, our prayers, or at least mine, they tend to shift towards less thankfulness and more, God, what are you doing? I thought you had a plan for my life. I thought I, thought I could trust you. But Paul says, whether life is good or whether life is bad, whether you're dealing with false teaching or whether you're not, my prayer for you is that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And I believe he prays that because that's what's going to help us stay focused on Jesus. Just like last week, Paul was saying, we need to be people who our focus is on Jesus in heaven, ignore all the distractions. And Paul is saying, if, if we are constantly praying that God would fill us with the knowledge of his will, that's going to help us stay focused on Jesus and everything else is not going to distract us. 
It's not going to pull us away from Christ, detract, uh, distract us from Christ. Paul doesn't change his prayers based on the situation people find themselves in. And I pray that we would be people who do the same. That we would constantly be praying that God would be giving us a knowledge of his will. Now, he also says that we'd be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to know that we are not going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will apart from the Spirit. Spiritual is an important word here. Because there are many people who have picked up this book, they've tried to read it, they've tried to understand it, and they just walk away empty-handed thinking, that didn't make any sense. Because you cannot make sense of this book apart from the Spirit. Those who have tried have been frustrated. They think the Bible just doesn't make any sense. It seems archaic and lame. It's a work of the Spirit that causes us to have, number one, wisdom and understanding. Because if we're going to grow in the knowledge of God's will, we need wisdom and understanding. Because we don't need to grow in, we don't need to increase in the knowledge of God's will just for the fact that we can increase in the knowledge of God's will. We don't need knowledge for the sake of knowledge. We don't need knowledge so we can win arguments. We don't need knowledge so we can uh, out, you know, verbalize somebody or, or win a debate. We need knowledge for verse 10. And Paul says we also need wisdom and understanding. We need to know how to use this knowledge. We need to know how this knowledge applies to life. And we need to understand this. We need to understand what the will of the Lord is if we're going to apply it. But now in verse 10, he says, so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So Paul's prayers have a purpose. He doesn't just pray so that people hear him pray. He doesn't just pray so that he can check off a list. Paul prays so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul is praying so that the people would be changed. And I wonder this morning if you and I are praying that we would be changed. It's very convicting to, to preach on prayer because you have to reflect on your own prayer life. And I'm thinking about all the times that I have prayed when I'm in a bad situation or when something, you know, is not right. And my prayer is, God, would you fix that person? Or would you remove that person so I don't have to deal with this? God, would you just fix this finances, just give me that, that money so I, I don't have to worry about this. But how often when we are dealing with controversy in life are we praying, God, would you change me? Would you use these situations and these circumstances to change me and to cause me to be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? Are we praying that God would change us? Because isn't that the whole point of the Christian life? That we be changed people? Romans 8.29 says that God is conforming us to the image of His Son. That's the process of sanctification. That's the process of us being, becoming believers, and God changing us slowly but surely into the image of His Son who is perfect. And so when we pray, 
Are you praying like Paul that, that God would change us? And are we praying that God would change us and not giving up? Because I don't think if we pray just one time that God would change us, it may not happen. I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But are you willing to continue to pray that God would change us? Or are you even thinking that you need to change? I think if all of us took an honest look at our life, if we were a little introspective for a while, I think we would all say that there there are aspects of our life that need to be changed. I need to be more gracious towards people. I need to be more caring. I need to be more loving. I need to be more generous. I need to be more kind. Are we praying? Are we using our prayers asking that God would change us rather than change everything around us? That's what we need. We need change. Because Paul says the goal of the Christian life, the goal of what I'm praying for you is so that we'll walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Now, how would we know if we're walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? That's God's moral will. Paul is praying that we'd be filled with the knowledge of that. We can't know how to live, or we, or, sorry, we can't live a certain way if we don't know what way we're being called to live. If we don't know what God requires of us, how can we live according to what he requires of us? Paul says we need to be filled with the knowledge of his will. As we are, it will cause us to live a life worthy of the Lord. The knowledge of God's will is going to change you and me. As we grow as Christians, as we get to know God, as we grow in our uh, understanding of him, in our knowledge of him, as he says at the end of verse 9, it will change how we pray. Paul says we should be people walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we have to ask ourselves, how do we become people who pray non-ceasing? How do we be people who don't give up, who don't lose heart in our prayers? Because it seems like that's what we have to do. We have to pray more that God would change us. We have to pray more that we'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will, and we have to figure out how we can do that non-ceasing. And so the the temptation is for me to tell you, well, set a reminder on your phone every day uh, at this time or that time or whatever, and and make sure that you're praying. Have a little prayer list so you're praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will as as, uh, as well as the other things that you are praying about. It would be easy for me to tell you that. But that's not going to ultimately change you. That's not going to ultimately alter who you are deep down inside. Only God does that. Only God can change us from the inside out. And he does it as we focus on him. As our attention is fixed on him, like I said last week, God will slowly but surely be doing this process of sanctification in our life. And the more that we are growing in our knowledge of God's will, the more we are knowing what he is doing in all of creation and what he requires for his people, 
the more we're going to see our need for him. And the more we see our need for him, the more we're going to be driven to pray to him. I said at a men's Bible study two weeks ago that I had a friend come to seminary before I ever did. And he told me one thing that I will never forget. He said, you know, Jake, um, ever since I've been here at seminary, I feel like I've really been growing. I've been, been getting to know the Lord better. I've been uh, increasing in my knowledge of Scripture. He said, and here's what I found out. I thought when I came to seminary that I was like a, a righteous dude. I thought that I was living in such a way that it really honored God. And he said, the, the closer I've gotten to the Lord, the more I've gotten to know him, the more I realize how far away I am. The more I realize my need for salvation. And I think the same is true for you and for me. If we are sitting here, distant from God, maybe we're half paying attention on Sundays, we may think, you know, I'm living a good life. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not skipping out of work early. I'm nice to my neighbors. We may think that we are genuinely good people that don't really need a whole lot of change. But I promise you, as you read the Bible, the word of the truth, the gospel, you will see your need for God. You will see your brokenness. You will see your sinfulness. And as you do, you will recognize your need to cry out to him, to pray that he would fill you with the knowledge of his will, to pray that he would change you, the using the circumstances of our life to cause us to be people who walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's my prayer for you all this morning. There is no magic formula for me to cause you to pray more and to, to pray for, for God to grow you and to change you. I don't have a little checkbox that I can give you guys so that as, as long as you're checking the boxes and you're doing the things, then you will pray more, you will grow more, you will be more godly. But I promise you this, that if you seek the Lord with all of your heart, if you give yourself to knowing him, to seeking after him, to understanding his, his will, it will change you. And you will become a person who prays more and more and more because you will see even more your dependence on him, your need for him. And that is what we desire for our church. We want to be people who depend on God so much in prayer that we don't need 24 hours of prayer. We are praying around the clock all the time as a body of believers here because we are that dependent on it. But that's only going to come as we are seeking Him, as we are looking to Him. And I pray that that would be us this morning. Do we recognize that we need Jesus? We need a Savior? You do. All of us are broken. All of us are sinful. All of us are separated from God. But because God's sovereign will cannot be stopped, he killed Jesus on the cross for you and for me. And because he did, we can look to Jesus. We can look to his work on the cross. We can believe and have faith and be saved because God loves us. 
He loves us so much that he would send his own son. And so my prayer for you and for me this morning is that we would look at the the book of Colossians here. We would look at, at prayer in general and see, man, it is important. We need prayer. Prayer is how we're going to grow as believers. Prayer is how we're going to uh, intercede for other people. We don't want to be weak-minded. We don't want to give up in our prayers. We want to be steadfast, just like Jesus. Don't stop praying and don't lose heart. May we be a congregation of people who recognize the importance of prayer, who recognize that through prayer, God will change us as a people. Let me pray for us. God, we are thankful to be here this morning. As we think about prayer, God, I pray that just like Spurgeon was absolutely dependent on prayer for the success of his church, we are as well. And God, I pray that we would be like Paul in recognizing that we need to pray all the time. God, I pray that we would see what Jesus has taught. Don't stop praying. Don't lose heart. And God, I pray that you would be filling us with the knowledge of your will so that we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you all need to respond, now would be the time to do that as we sing our last song. Maybe you have not been a person who, who prays much at all. And maybe, maybe you see now that you need to be. That prayer is how we communicate with God. Prayer is how God is going to change us slowly but surely as we rely on Him and trust in Him. Maybe you need to place your faith in Jesus this morning. Whatever you need to do, use this time to pray to God.